If you're a founder, you know that fundraising is a big part of the job. What you might not know is that Carta is there to help. Carta's new fundraising suite provides startups of all stages the best tools and support to easily issue safes, accurately forecast solution, and quickly close funding rounds. Save time, money, and make your next round your best yet. To learn more or to get started, go to carta.com forward slash fundraise. That's carta.com forward slash fundraise. Welcome to Inc.'s The Founders Project with Alexa Von Tobel. I'm Alexa, the founder of LearnVest, author of New York Times bestselling book, Financially Fearless, and second book, Financially Forward. I'm also the founder and managing partner of Inspired Capital, a venture firm focused on the entrepreneurs of the future. Each week, we sit down with the top founder to share their story of guts, inspiration, and drive. Hi, everybody. I'm your host, Alexa Von Tobel with The Founders Project, and I'm really excited about this week. This week, meet Daniel Gross, the founder of Pioneer, a fully remote accelerator that backs unconventional startups from around the world. Daniel's exceptional. He started his first company at age 18 when he traveled from Jerusalem to Silicon Valley and joined YC as the youngest founder ever accepted at that time. In just a few short years, his search engine startup Q, which was backed by Sequoia, got acquired by Apple. He went on to become a director at Apple and moved into investing as a partner at YC. Now with Pioneer, he's working to give people all around the globe a shot at startup success and has funded over 120 projects to date. Let's welcome Daniel. Hi, Daniel. How are you? Good. Thank you so much for having me on 145 as of now. Daniel, so excited to have you. And I just want to dive right in and we're going to touch on Q and we're going to touch on your background. But let's just first start with what you're focused on today, which is Pioneer. Talk to us. What's Pioneer in your own words? Pioneer is kind of an attempt to recreate on the internet uh, a lot of the benefit that I feel like one experiences from being, you know, in a great city like San Francisco, London, or New York, in the sense that we are trying to get people that are working on, you know, not necessarily even companies yet, but projects that might turn into companies together, kind of talking to each other. And, 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 and we kind of think that if we build a really strong online community and kind of give people a lot of the, the kind of je ne sais quoi of what it, it's like to be an SF, what it's like to be in Silicon Valley on the internet, we can actually generate and create many, many more founders. And so it takes the shape of a fully remote online accelerator. And we've been this way, you know, even prior to 2020, very much trying to leverage the tools of the internet to, to kind of in, encourage a, an intellectual immigration, you know, where visas and countries that you're born in don't really matter that much. And build a place where we can get, you know, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people who are, you know, ambitious, energetic, hungry, technical in their various domains, and they're working on something and they're not even sure if it's a company uh, or a project or a whatever. And, and we can kind of help them take that first step and really be with them in the moment of inception of their business. We've seen kind of scattered around the world, various forms of, you know, accelerators and capital funds. And so one may ask the question, kind of how are we different or what are we trying to do differently? And I would say really two things. One is we are completely remote, completely online, very much trying to build a product that my younger self would have wanted to use, having been born in Israel and, you know, not San Francisco. And then the second kind of big idea behind us is we're really trying to get people to create companies that otherwise wouldn't have been created. I very much think the world deserves to have significantly more choice, more variety, more options than what we currently have. I don't want to live in the world that has four or five large tech companies. I want to live in a world that has thousands uh, of startups doing different interesting things. And I think we could stand to have significantly more of those. 
Like actually think the number of great startups per year we may realize is artificially small. There's many, too many people in my opinion that either don't get opportunity locally where they are or they're convinced that what success is is working at Microsoft or working at Google. And those people should be peeling off to really chase their own dreams and their adventure. So that's kind of like the ultimate vision of, of pioneers to really be a dream catcher of sorts. Can you walk us through an example of a project or a current entrepreneur that's within Pioneer and just give people, you know, out there listening who may, may want to say, hey, I want to be, you know, part of Pioneer, just give people a sense of what that looks like. Sure. There's a gentleman by the name of Arsalan. He is from Kashmir and he is working on a company called LiveDocs. LiveDocs is a, a better version of Google Docs. It's pretty interesting, actually. So you know, around the world, anyone that works on anything with business or data or metrics, uh, they have this problem where, you know, you kind of write the Google Doc and then there's a chart you need to include of like how your sales are doing. And almost always you'll see people screenshotting stuff in and they paste in the screenshot. They do this over email too. And the, the kind of cool innovation behind live docs is you can actually embed like live numbers into the document. So you can say, you know, sales this quarter were and then you, when you insert the number, it'll literally update quarter over quarter over quarter. It's kind of cool. It's one of those things when, once you look at it, you realize it's totally the way documents have, should have been created for years. It's an awesome idea. It's an awesome online business, a clear need. And yet, you know, it's started by a guy who's in Kashmir. There's like, you know, no solid heat in the room. He's wearing like 15 sweaters or so. And yet he's a really good software engineer and he wants to build an online business. And he's talking to you about Clayton Christensen and all the things you expect to only hear from people in SF. And he ended up raising money from General Catalyst, one of the most esteemed funds in, in Silicon Valley. And he's kind of now off to the races. I actually think this week he is doing sales in San Francisco. So in my view, that's a real story of us, you know, bringing someone who is an outsider a little bit in. Now I mentioned this, but I should say that Pioneer doesn't really have a mandate to be global. We just want to find great people that wouldn't have been found otherwise. It just so happens to be that not everyone awesome was born in the same zip code. It'd be really easy to do Pioneer if that was the case, but that's not the case. And in fact, quite the inversion of it. When you look at the great founders of Silicon Valley, they are almost all immigrants to California, where even if they came from other parts of the United States, they're second, third generation immigrants. And this is true across the Fortune 500 as well. By the way, I agree. What you're basically saying is you don't need to fully you know, come to America to be able to get access to this funding. We'll come to you and we'll bring the programming and the support and the emotional infrastructure and the capital to help you build really exceptional businesses all over the planet. So you have 145 entrepreneurs to date. What do they do to put their hand up? So I'm sure some people listening here would love to be one of your entrepreneurs. What do they need to do exactly to put their hand up to apply for the program or enter the program? What does that look like exactly? Yeah. So the beautiful thing about Pioneer, it is truly for those born online. I mean, it is an example of a company born online. So you can get started with the same ease as creating a Reddit or Twitter account. So it's really meant to be frictionless. All you have to do, really all we filter for is you have to have a kind of a thing that you want to work on. The product kind of feels like on the inside, it kind of feels like a video game, except points mean uh, advancing with your project to your company. And so there's a bunch of different ways to get points, much like, you know, maybe you would in, uh, in, in a video game, there's different quests you can go on, so to speak. Um, you could try to grow the revenue in your company. You could try to take a bunch of online tests or puzzles. The, the predominant way your points grow though, is by other people who are also playing this month long tournament, reviewing and rating your work. 
And that's that's a pretty interesting idea. So so the the more the crowd thinks the progress you made in a particular day or week over the course of this month, the more points you'll accrue. And so as a result, you know, you could get to the top of the leaderboard, even if you don't have revenue, but you're making great progress on your software. And you'll get positive and constructive feedback along the way from other people playing. It's, I'm actually astonished at how helpful the feedback is. I'm telling you this is one of the authors of the system. The internet's not usually a place where people are nice to each other. And for various reasons, some more subtle than I can understand, it is on Pioneer. And so you get started and after you spend two weeks on the system, if you enter the top 50 leaderboard, you get reviewed by one of the team. And if everything kind of lines up, you win the, the tournament. And as a result, we give you funding, you know, $100,000 in Amazon credits, um, a bunch of financial, but you know, um, incentives. But I actually think the biggest thing we give people is a sense of community and network. We put you through our online program, which is in itself another month. So kind of a month of tournament, a month of uh, what we call Pioneer Camp, the proper kind of accelerator program. And then it kind of culminates in this live stream that we do uh, over YouTube and Twitch where we uh, have people present their work to a, a whole bevy of other folks watching. Uh, and then you get fundraising. And, 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 and in many ways, the, you know, the journey of, the, of, of Pioneer is somewhat infinite. I mean, again, I think the real thing we give people is kind of a community. I think founders often don't really think they want that. And I'll tell you, as someone who 10 years ago consumed the product of Y Combinator as a founder, that is actually what I got out of it. Um, it's kind of weird. You, you go in thinking you're going to get money, but you go out thinking, actually, like, there is enough capital if you know how to position yourself and, and interview properly. What there's a true scarcity of is community. And it's really friendship that you get out of it. And that's important because, again, while you're in those troughs of sorrow, you know, in this opaque job we described, and I don't know, you're not making any progress or someone on the team quit. It's really just having the dynamism of a community around you, other groups of founders to talk to that helps you push through. So getting started literally is as simple as doing anything else on the internet. You know, you don't have to be known. No one will see you in your nakedness if you fail, so to speak. Um, and if it does work out, it, you know, can be the beginning of a big change in your life. I was 18 years old when I originally applied to Y Combinator. I was born in Jerusalem. I was not, you know, the most popular kid in class. And in that moment, that small moment changed my life. And it's my goal now to try to really to give other people, ideally thousands of them, that same moment, that same small intervention that has a huge impact later on. Um, for everybody that's listening, first of all, we're doing this um, via Zoom, of course, because we can't be in person together. And what's amazing is Daniel has like the most high tech, beautiful camera and you can like see him as though he is literally on like the cover of a magazine because the quality is so impeccable and his earnestness just really comes through so much. Um, and, I, and I was going to go back to that moment of when you were 18 and I think, you know, you, you, you came youngest uh, entrepreneur ever uh, or today um, uh, into Y Combinator or at that time you were the youngest and uh, it changed your whole life. Walk us through a little bit of that. Let's go to the story of Q. Uh, you built a company, you got backed by Sequoia, you sold it to Apple. I think each of those things individually would be something that an individual would be excited about. You did all three. Um, just talk a little bit about those early days in your own narrative um, and, and I'll end by saying 
I 100 million percent agree with you that the community that helps you get through this superhuman task of being a founder, it is superhuman in every element from the stress, from the intensity, um, from the emotional bandwidth that you have to handle to the fact that um, you're also overcoming wild, you know, uh, feats of sales and business development and coding and engineering. And um, so couldn't agree more with your vision. Uh, but let's go back to your early story so that people can understand uh, where the inspiration came from. I never envisioned myself as a 23-year-old running search and machine learning for Apple. Uh, I never really thought I would raise money from Sequoia. Silicon Valley seemed like a distant land. Um, maybe in another universe, not too far away from Mars, where you know you read these articles on TechCrunch uh, about all sorts of things happening. But again, it seems infinitely far away. And um, it seems also infinitely unachievable. And, and, and through every part of my journey, I really didn't think the next part would work. I'm kind of, um, you know, um, plan for the worst, hope for the best type of guy. Uh, and so I applied to YC, not thinking I'd get in. I got in. I, I, Throughout Y Combinator, I actually had to change my business a couple of times. Um, and and the thing I ended up working on, the search engine that Apple acquired, I, I literally started working on 48 hours before the culmination of the program. It just goes to show you how dynamic things are. And I really had no expectations for the next step. And I think that kind of helped me because when bad news happened, you know, I, I kind of didn't expect much. So it was fine. I didn't mean to say that I had a kind of nihilistic attitude towards it. I wanted to be successful. I still want to be successful. I want our pioneers to be successful because that makes pioneers successful. Um, but, uh, you know, I always assumed that, um, you know, well, I was aware of the statistics. Most startups fail. Um, and, and as a result, I think, um, you know, we all, we all know that Steve Jobs quote about uh, making something insanely great. There is something very interesting about the choice of words there. It, you do have to be somewhat insane. Um, you have to be somewhat irrational. And for some people, it's a labor of love. You know, I was actually, I still am very interested in search in the problem of productivity. Um, I think it's super cool to work on stuff that helps people just accelerate faster um, uh, and, and kind of move faster. Um, uh, but um, that, you, you know, as, as I went from step to step, I didn't really have any master or grand plan. It was very iterative and it was a lot of improv. Um, uh, you know, my largest reflection from this whole thing is, um, it's funny, it, it, I, it's that along the way, I would always get advice and kind of almost tropey advice from folks. Um, you know, things like, you know, the people that you're around really matter. Focus on hiring really great people. You know, hire slowly, fire fast, or don't raise too much money. Um, all, all of these forms of advice that have been repeated generation after generation after generation, it's kind of interesting. They're endlessly repeated. People make the same mistakes over despite hearing the elders tell them the exact same thing. And that, that to me is the big reflection on this, as I, especially as I think about Pioneer today and trying to give, you know, all I do all day is really sit down with people now over Zoom and try to give them advice about their business. And it's so interesting to me that there's these forms of feedback where, no matter what you say, you kind of realize as you tell the person, just like I didn't listen, they're not going to listen. And, you know, everyone says fire quickly, hire slow. I mean, I made that mistake. Everyone told me not. I made that mistake too. <laughs> and I got the same advice that you did, which is this is the one thing entrepreneurs don't listen to enough. It's going to happen to you. I knew it. I listened. And then yeah. I still made the mistake. There you go. And so I think advice is, you know, just like um, I think in, in, I don't understand too much about biotech, but as I understand with drugs, it's kind of equal part actually having the right proteins and being able to deliver them to the right site in the body and to kind of, you know, um, 
enter the cell. Uh, and I think the same thing is true about advice. It's not just having the knowledge, it's being able to either accept it or deliver it to someone properly so that they hear it. But I guess the, the, the thing I try to tell people, and, and this won't stick, it's a bit too vague, but, but maybe someone listening will appreciate it, is it'd be great if you were the first person literally ever on the, you know, the two million year history we have as apes on this planet to actually listen properly and imbibe some of that advice. Um, uh, because I think too many people go through what you went through, what I went through, which is um, there's something beautiful about it. I mean, I think the reason you start a company is you, because you are somewhat disagreeable and you don't think the world's <laughs> right and you want to change them. <laughs> so there's a bit of a, a bit of a dilemma there. Um, if you're overly agreeable, obviously, then you're not gonna, never going to be you know, a founder. But anyway, one, one other thing I wanted to mention that you, that you kind of touched on was obviously starting a company, there are moments of turmoil and, for me, it was actually a little bit of a, of a difficult decision after I left Y Combinator, infinite options in life. Starting another thing, it took me a while to basically jump in, in, into the water um, because I knew it was cold. Um, whereas you do it the first time, you have no idea what the temperature is, and now suddenly you're inside, you're trying to swim back to shore. Um, but uh, the thing I would say, though, to, to founders is um, I actually think humans are awesome because we, we don't actually have too much uh, of a great memory and things kind of fade and maybe you remember some bad moments and great moments, but at the end of the day, like the day to day of running a company, I actually think is, is, is a lot of fun. Um, I think you have to take care of yourself. And I think we're, you know, we're learning that a lot of people don't. And so they burn out, um, you know, but I think if you get, you know, the right amount of sleep and you kind of learn how to correctly fly a plane through turbulence, uh, it's, it's, it's really fun and enjoyable. So I don't, I, I wouldn't, I just want to scare people away with, you know, everyone reads these horror stories, Elon sleeping on the factory floor, whatever, you know, all of this perseverance, uh, porn almost. And, and to some extent that is true and you have to love the fight. And to some extent, um, you know, it's, it, there's a lot of moments of joy and celebration too. It's a great lifestyle for someone who really wants to live. Alexa here. Not only do I get the opportunity to speak with all types of founders on, for starters, but I'm a repeat founder myself. We all know how vital fundraising is to a startup. Carta knows this too. That's why they had founders in mind when they created their fundraising suite, providing tools and support to take the friction out of fundraising. They save founders time and money, allowing you to focus on your goals, not the admin work needed to close around. From simply issuing safes to quickly receiving funds, Carta Fundraising Suites helps their cap table customers raise a better fundraising round. To learn more or to get started, go to carta.com forward slash fundraise. That's carta.com forward slash fundraise. Let's go to the story of QI. Uh, you built a company, you got backed by Sequoia, you sold it to Apple. I think each of those things individually would be something that an individual would be excited about. You did all three. How does Apple acquire it? What was the aha moment when you were like, wow, this is working? Did Apple knock on the door and say, hey, I would love Daniel for you to like put your head up. We want to buy your business. Just can you give us a moment of like, what, what did that look like? I still don't understand exactly how they found out about us and, and the entire process that led to that, but they were interested in buying us because at the time they had almost no one really working on search and machine learning and, you know, broadly intelligence at the company. I, you know, I remember getting a phone call from them and, you know, it's, it's, it's exactly like the movie script you would expect. A call comes in from an unknown number and drove down 
to their headquarters. We weren't sure if we wanted to sell. We had a, a bunch of money in the bank. We just raised a Series B from Sequoia and Index. Um, but uh, at some point, push came to shove, and we got kind of excited by the opportunity we would have at the company. Um, you know, my dream actually with, with Q was to build a product that could serve as many people as possible. I think there's two ways to get excited about companies. One is to get excited about serving not as many people as possible, but to the most important people possible. So actually, I think you're doing a tremendous service to the world if you're working on something as hidden as making databases run, because ultimately that's what's going to make planes fly. And that's what's going to advance, you know, new discoveries in genomics and space is a database. So that's cool. So that's a strategy of serving the most important people. I was excited just by giving this thing to as many people as possible, consumer product. And Apple is going to afford us the opportunity to do that without immediately worrying about revenue. You know, the cool thing about Apple is if we could make the iPhone 5% more appealing, then, you know, we make Apple a bunch of money and we also get our product distributed to a billion people. If we make an app that's 5% more appealing, we fail. So I actually think in many ways, personal search, the problem we were working on is one most befitting for a large company, not a startup really. And so at some point myself and my co-founder, we went for a long walk and, and we just decided it'd, it'd be a fun experiment. Apple literally had no one working on this at the time. And so they were going to give us quite a bit of um, green field. I think this is another very important thing for founders to think about as they go through M&A process. You want, you very much need the intersection of two things to happen, which is you need to be selling to a CEO that really cares about what you're doing. So that's point one. They really need to care about what you're doing. And then point two is they're, ideally need to be not too many people working on that thing. It's very easy to get one of those conditions satisfied. So CEO doesn't care, no one's working on it. Super easy. CEO cares a ton, everyone's working on it. So the equivalent of this would be selling our company to Google who actually bid on it too. Um, but there were just so many people working on search and ML at Google, it's really the bread and butter, um, that I just felt like we wouldn't have the opportunity to shine. Apple was this rare intersection. Sometimes you have these moments where, you know, uh, and I think Eddie mentioned this to me at the time, you know, this isn't going to stay open for too long. So we decided to take up that piece of real estate. And it's kind of cool that literally some of the source code still runs on a billion plus iPhones. And there's a lot of people still at Apple working on that. And that to me is awesome. You know, I managed to create, uh, along with Robbie, my co-founder, a small story of advancement in the world. And the experience, of course, was, you know, one I would pay for, let alone one to be paid for. What do you look for from a founder, whether it's through Pioneer or an angel investment you make? It's just the one thing you need to see a founder excited to do. What does that look like? The thing that I look for in a founder that I think oh, the thing that ultimately really matters, and I look for this not just in founders, but anyone we hire, is just hunger and energy. I think hunger and energy with sufficient intellect will take you to great places because ultimately what you're doing when you find someone with hunger and energy is you're finding someone who is going to take multiple shots on goal. And I think it is super rare to see a company succeed at first try. Occasionally this happens where they stick a toothpick in the sand and oil comes gushing out, but it's very rare. And they usually have to go, you know, refine at multiple sites before they manage to gush oil. I mean, it, look, if you look at Dylan Field, the case from Figma, it was very unclear what he was building. He actually just did on the internet for us. We, we live streamed Dylan recreating his seed pitch of Figma. And you really got the sense that he was confused. There's all sorts of different aspects of Figma he was building, but didn't have a coherent vision. But what you get with Dylan is someone who's going to try multiple things until it works. Um, and I think that's really what you look for. That's what gets people to the place of success is, is just hunger and drive and passion. So you're so thoughtful. You're incredibly articulate. If you fast forward 10 years and you give me one prediction that you think is obvious, 
something that you just you can't wait for it's part of the structural architecture of how you see the future what is it the thing i'm really excited about now and you could ask me the team will tell you you ask me this question every hour i'll tell you something else um but <laughs> the thing i'm really excited about now is uh i'll set the stage for this last night at 9 30 p.m i went outside and i stared at the sky and uh, i went outside at 9 30 uh, for a particular reason, which is that was when a Starlink uh, satellite was going to be crossing over the horizon. And you look at that thing and you realize two things. One is pretty awesome. We'll put that up there as a species. Um, second is to me, I really believe that um, this decade is going to be a decade of uh, space. Uh, and I don't mean that actually in the form of going to Mars. Um, I think that's super noble, super interesting. I don't know how many people can participate in that because that requires a tremendous amount of capital. And it's, you know, what we would think of as a super capital intensive business where the rewards won't come for a long time. But I do think there are other forms of space that are going to be incredibly accessible over time. You know, if SpaceX and other companies really manage to make launches $50,000 and not 50 million, um, everything from Starlink blanketing the world globally with internet, which I think, I mean, again, I'll say it again, uh, blanketing the entire world with internet, that's a huge idea. Um, and, you know, I, 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 the, the second and third order impacts of that, I think will be very interesting to watch. I mean, think of it, North Korea now will have internet that you can't really censor. It's literally in the air. And the same way you can't censor an Iridium phone that, you know, people use in Iran. It's in the air, it's relatively high speed, it's cheap uh, and durable as water. Uh, you know, to me, that's going to be the biggest thing that's going to happen over the course of the next 10 years. People are confused by this. They don't like hearing it because people like hearing things they're familiar with. So I'll tell you something like SAS or something like Stripe. And I'm sure that will continue to, to accelerate almost as a result of this. But I really think satellites and kind of radio and space um, are going to be the key components of, of, of the next 10 years to follow. Um, and I think it's really important that we get a big thing soon, that we get a new iPhone soon, because... I actually think um, a lot of the unrest we're seeing now in the world is because <laughs> humans are awesome. They demand a fixed rate of improvement of their life. And if that doesn't happen, they tend to get fr you know, frustrated. And it was a, I think it was a huge deal for our grandparents to get refrigeration. I mean, that's awesome. Makes their life significantly better. And it's been a while you know, since we got something like the iPhone. And so I think if we get ubiquitous internet, if we actually manage to get a version of Magic Leap that's real, I think that'll be a really inspirational moment for what now seems to be a pretty, you know, fractured world. So those are kind of the things I'm, I'm very excited about. Um, uh, just beautiful. And again, I think I could interview you for like four more hours here. Um, I want to switch to you. Um, you're also human and uh, you know, everything that you have deep ambitions and are hardwired to want to accomplish, um, you're also human. And I want to know, what have you learned through all of this? So you were 18 at YC, you're now uh, thriving with Pioneer, actively investing, finding the entrepreneurs to change the world for tomorrow. You've learned what makes you tick or else you wouldn't be here. There was a decade of you working pretty hard at learning through trial and error. What makes you tick? What keeps you on the rails? What are the habits you must keep to be able to stay healthy and sane? Yeah, it's a good question. I'm still learning, honestly, and I'm surprised. I feel like the rate of learning has increased, um, but you know, I, I kind of feel like you know, being in your own mind and body, it, it's kind of like you you're born in a room, and you don't kind of 
realize the contours of the wallpaper and the wood and all the objects in the room until you start really growing up and you're like, wow, I guess this is what motivates me or, um, you know, I guess this is what drives me. And it takes kind of years to get to that point. I feel like you, I, I spent certainly the first half of my life experiencing the room. And then maybe, you know, the latter half has all been about uh, kind of realizing, heck, I am in a room. Um, and so I'm still learning, uh, you know, a lot of what motivates me. But I, I really enjoy um, serving and, and giving people and, and having people depend on me and being able to deliver. Um, that's what I really like. Um, I find that, that that kind of really makes me tick. It's different. I mean, some people will tell you they're very interested in... Um, you know, uh, the beauty of numbers. And I actually, to some extent am, but I find what really gets me motivated and going is, is, uh, you know, a desire to, to serve. And I think that comes from, um, me trying to find, uh, kind of validation that, you know, my time on, on this planet will have mattered in a meaningful way. And, um, I think, you know, being able to, to positively impact lives of others is, to me, the, the biggest form of validation. And so, you know, there's a lot of ways of doing that that aren't pioneer. Um, it's quite possible that, you know, you know, you impact the positive lives of others. Maybe if you just donate a lot of money to a particular nonprofit. The nice thing about pioneer for me is, and hopefully for the team, is it's an interesting mix of being able to give back, um, also have kind of ambitious company goals. So not just doling out money. Um, and so that's kind of exciting. The thrill of the challenge is exciting. You know, trying to be the very best in the world at what we do is exciting. Um, we were kind of wondering the other day, are we the largest online accelerator in the world? I, I don't know, maybe. Um, but that's exciting to try to think of what it would take to be that. Um, uh, and, and maybe the, the, the third component in Pioneer uh, that, that I feel like speaks to what motivates me is um, I do think that starting businesses, for-profit businesses, helping people do that. And Pioneer itself is a for-profit business is, is a good thing for the world. And I think, you know, like any powerful tool, capitalism can run amok. Uh, I think that is how you end up with companies selling, you know, tremendous amounts of sugar or drugs to people. But let's not forget, it also created the, the microphone that I'm using to talk to you and the headphones people are using to listen to this. And I actually think a lot of the good outweighs the bad. Um, and, and so I view it as a force for, for creation and good in the world. And, and so doing more of that is, is fun and exciting for me. Um, so maybe those are kind of the, the, the three. But again, ask me tomorrow. I'll probably tell you. What is your favorite interview question? It is so clear you've thought so much about people, their psyches. If you want to get to the core of whether or not somebody should join Pioneer or should be an entrepreneur that you back at Pioneer, um, how do you think about what's the question you ask that you think gets you the most data on somebody? I'll ask you that question. It's this. How do you feel like this interview is going? <laughs> I love, first of all, I wish this interview could be like four more hours. I feel <laughs> like I have 16 more questions I want to be able to ask you. Um, and I wish we were in person because I feel like it would be even more fun, but that's a great one. Um, I want to quickly just end by saying thank you so much, Daniel, for joining us today. It's clear that you are going to make the world a better place. Uh, for everyone that is listening out there, if you want to learn more about Pioneer, check out pioneer.app and you can join us next week for Ink the Founders Project with Alexa Von Tobel. Daniel, thank you so much. This has been wonderful. Thank you so much for having me.